Oh, good morning, uh, sisters and brothers. Uh, we're in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, uh, to chapter 3, verse 22. That's the end of that chapter. So let me lead us in prayer uh, as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you speak to us by your Spirit, through your Word, uh, as we look at it together. Uh, may you uh, encourage us and help us uh, and enable us to live in ways that please you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Many people in our community are suffering at the moment. Now, this week, some of our people were in ICU, others were admitted to hospital, others were COVID positive and isolating at home, uh, and still others were exposed and quarantined. Some of us have already lost friends or family members to the illness, and others are still finding it hard economically or just weary for the, from the ongoing lockdown and its implications for work, family, and friends. And in the midst of this, we are seeking to do good, to love others, and to be godly in our conduct. And it isn't always easy. But in the midst of this, we know that we have hope. We know that death is not the end, that we have an inheritance in heaven that can never perish or spoil or fade. We know that God has given us new birth into this living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and that we are God's holy people, saved to belong to him and proclaim his excellencies to the world. And so even as we face this pandemic, uh, we do so trusting the God who gave his son to die for us, looking forward to our future with him in glory, and seeking to live right now in a way that honors him despite the difficulties of our situation. In the context that Peter was writing this letter to, the big difficulty that the Christians were facing was opposition. There wasn't a big ban on Christianity across the Roman Empire with all the Christians being killed or anything like that. But Christians faced discrimination and verbal abuse from colleagues and friends and family members, and in the case of slaves, mistreatment by their owners. Any persecution from authorities would have been from little Napoleons in local government rather than imperial policy. But things were getting worse, and Peter may well have been preparing people for the more active persecution that would actually come under Nero a few years later. Uh, most of us are not facing something like that at the moment. But with COVID, we are facing our own hardships. There may be all kinds of hardships, but they are hardships all the same. And for the dear brothers and sisters among us who for one reason or another are facing the kind of hardships that Peter's readers were facing, you are doing it doubly tough. But those hardships don't, and those, those hardships that you are facing don't go away just because there's a pandemic. And so Peter's reminder of the hope that we have in Christ and our identity and purpose in him are all the more important for all of us. But as we have seen in the last couple of weeks, that's not even the end of the story. Even in the midst of our hardships, and in fact through those hardships, the Spirit is at work to change us into the image of Christ. And so he reminds us through Peter, as we face hardships, to conduct ourselves in an honorable, God-glorifying way. As Peter himself says in chapter 2, verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. We started to see how that plays out over the last couple of weeks, haven't we? We've seen what it looks like to submit to those in authority in government, how to follow Jesus in the workplace, in the home, and in the church community. And in our passage today, Peter tells us how to act when we face hostility in the world. Now, at one level, there should be no reason why we ought to face hostility. Suffering for doing good should be a surprising thing. 
Uh, chapter 3, verse 13, Peter says, Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Right? Zealots were like nationalists, radicals, freedom fighter type people, extremists, and so of course governments would look on them suspiciously. Lah. But Christians were not to be political zealots, they were to be zealots for good, to ardently pursue goodness and purity in their lives. Now, why would anyone want to harm you for that? But Peter knows that ought not is not will not. And Christians can show exemplary behavior in society, in the workplace, in the family, and in the community, and still be opposed. And yet Peter says there's a bright side to it. Verse 14 he says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Now how many of us have been asking God for his blessings? Well, this might be one way he answers that prayer. Remember what Jesus said, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. If you suffer for Jesus, God will reward you. And so suffering can be a means of blessing. At the same time, we also need to know how to deal with hostility. Uh, we know we're not allowed to take revenge on our persecutors. Jesus taught us to love our enemies. So what do we do? Well, the Holy Spirit, through Peter, gives us a number of pointers in verses 14 to 16. Uh, first of all, he deals with fear. Have a look at the end of verse 14. He says, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Those words are quoted from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. In Isaiah 8, foreign armies were threatening Judah. And the people were understandably scared. But God says, don't fear what they fear. Regard the Lord of hosts as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. I can save you from these enemies, God says, and I can bring judgment upon you. Don't let to end, don't fear your enemies. Fear, fear me. And for us, Peter goes on and says in verse 15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Now, once again from Isaiah 8. Right? In Isaiah 8.13, the Lord who was to be regarded as holy, the one who was to be feared, was Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And here Peter puts Christ in exactly the same position, for he is indeed God. And Peter wants his readers to fear him by honoring him as holy, that is, by coming to him, believing in him, submitting to his rule, as opposed to the people in Isaiah 8 who stumble over him, uh, like someone stumbles over a stone, a rock in their path. Don't fear the persecutors, Peter says. Honor the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the big, big boss of all the world. If we are obeying him, then we are in the right and will be shown to be in the right in the end no matter what the little bosses down the line who may persecute us say. He is the one to whom we will all give an account in the end for everything we do. Remember what Jesus himself said, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And friends, in a secondary way, that also applies to those who are facing pandemic, isn't it? We need to be careful about the virus, we need to take it very seriously, we need to take all the precautions, we need to get vaccinated when we can, we need to wear masks, we need to minimize contact with others, we need to follow SOPs, all those things, not only for our sake, but for the sake of others. But COVID is not what we ultimately fear. Obeying SOPs is important, obey them we must. 
but it's far more important that we obey Jesus. If we belong to Jesus, then the worst that COVID can do is kill us and then we've got to be with him. Jesus is the one who really controls our destiny, now and in eternity. And the good news is that he loves us. And he gave his very life so that whatever happens, we could be his forever. As an old hymn says, Fear him, ye saints, and you will then have nothing else to fear. As we honour Christ as holy, he gives us an amazing hope which we must be prepared to speak of. Uh, the second half of verse 15 says that those who regard Christ the Lord as holy should be always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Uh, we've already seen that if we, people, if we are people who, who set our minds fully on the grace that is to come, if we look forward to the inheritance that we receive when Jesus returns, if we keep our eyes on the finishing line, then, then we are people who have hope. Even in the midst of whatever difficulties we face, this hope cannot be taken away. And people will want to know why we can live this way. Uh, Peter's first readers probably need to explain the somewhat hostile situation, uh, like some of us face. But even in a non-hostile situation, people may still ask, in the midst of a pandemic, how can you live with such hope? And we can explain. We can explain that Jesus died for our sins so that we are forgiven. We can explain that he rose again, and that shows that this is real, not just wishful thinking, that God has kept his Old Testament promises in Christ, and we are sure he will keep his promises to us. We can explain that God has promised eternal life with him, in glory, to all who believe, and we believe his promises. And so we have hope. And they can have the same hope if they too put their trust in Jesus. Be ready to make a defense to anyone who wants to know the reason for the hope that is in you. And we do that, Peter continues at the end of verse 15, with gentleness and respect. Now the word translated respect there is actually the word fear. It actually must be referring back to the fear of the Lord. Uh, we fear the Lord and therefore speak to others in the way he wants us to, and that is with gentleness. Uh, the word translated gentleness means humility, consideration, meekness. It's the opposite of being arrogant or contentious, always wanting to fight. Uh, Peter says we are to show that quality in the way we answer outsiders. In our conversations, we are trying to gently lead people to the truth, not score debating points. Because we're not trying to impress people with our knowledge or skills. We're not trying to shut them down with rhetoric, slogans and arguments that are unfair or untrue. Because we fear the Lord, we do not want to act like that. And so we want to explain the hope that we have in a godly way to those who question us. We have to speak the truth in love. And we must do so, verse 16, with a good, clear conscience. So that, verse 16 continues, When you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That is, we need to act such that we know that if people charge us with wrong, there is no truth about it. Like people will say all kinds of slanderous things against us. We can't stop that. But don't worry, the truth will ultimately come out. If not in this life, then certainly on the Day of Judgment. What we need to do is make sure there's no grounds for them accusing us, except for doing what is right. Loving God, doing good, proclaiming the gospel. And if we're doing that and we suffer for it, then okay lah. Uh, in verse 17, it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. But is that right? Is it really worthwhile to suffer for doing good? And how do we know? 
Well, Peter's about to show us the greatest suffering for doing good and what is arguably the greatest suffering for doing evil, so that we are able to see very clearly the consequences of each. On the side of suffering for doing good, Peter shows us the example of Jesus. Verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Right? Jesus was the righteous one, the good one, uh, who always lived the life that we were meant to live. Uh, we were the unrighteous ones, the bad ones, the sinners, the ones who haven't treated God properly. But he, the righteous one, suffered so that you and I, the guilty ones, could come to God. Otherwise, there is no way that sinful people like you and I can approach a holy God. All we deserve was God's condemnation. But Jesus suffered for us. He died for our salvation. He bore our guilt, our curse, our punishment in our place. And he did it once and for all. He dealt with our sin completely. Never has to do it again. Jesus suffered on the cross for sins, once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. Jesus is the one who suffered the most for doing good. Now, look what happened to this ultimate sufferer, this innocent sufferer. He was, in the second half of verse 18, put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Right? Now, this can be read in one of two ways. First, it could mean that he was put to death in the, in the body that is subject to decay, that is the present body, known as the flesh but was raised in a spiritual, imperishable body. Not, not, not less physical, but without the limitations of the physical body. That is, now, that's one way of reading it. Uh, or, and this is the way I favor, we could note that the word in can also be translated by, in which case he was put to death by the flesh, that is, people killed him, but he was made alive by the Spirit, that is, God the Holy Spirit raised him up. Uh, either way, the point is the same. The innocent sufferer was vindicated. Suffering for doing good, even dying for doing good, eventually paid off. What about suffering for doing evil? Who are the ones who suffer the most for doing evil? Well, in verse 19, Peter mentions spirits in prison. And if we had time, we would look carefully at 1 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, where Peter talks more about angels who disobeyed God long ago, and God punished by keeping in chains of gloomy darkness, it says, until the final judgment. Now we could also go to Jude 6 and see that these angels disobeyed by abandoning their proper dwelling. And 1 Peter 3.20 tells us this happened in the days of Noah and the ark. So these are rebellious angels who have been languishing in prison thousands of years while waiting for the final judgment. They are suffering for doing evil. Now, how does Jesus, the one who suffered for doing good, relate to them? Verse 19 says that the risen Christ, the one who was made alive by the Spirit, went and preached, in verse 19, to the spirits in prison. Uh, incidentally, note the sequence in the passage here. This is after he was put to death and made alive, not, not between his death and resurrection. Uh, so when Jesus proclaims to these spirits in prison, he's not preaching repentance unto salvation. All right, verse 22 of 1 Peter 3 says that the risen Jesus has gone into heaven, and he's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him, even these spirits. And so his preaching is a declaration of victory. He's telling them, you are under me. I am God's risen king, the king of the entire universe. All angels and authorities and powers are subject to me, and that includes you. So, friends, now, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be with? 
the one who has suffered the most for doing good, or the ones who have suffered the most for doing evil. The one who is vindicated and sits at the right hand of God, or the one who heard the proclamation of the ones who heard the proclamation of their final defeat and can only look forward to the final judgment from the one who suffered from doing good. Either way you suffer, do good on Jesus' side, and that leads to more suffering now, but ultimately leads to glory. Suffer for doing evil on their side, you know where that leads. So in the inference, it is better to suffer for doing good than to suffer for doing evil. The problem is that you and I naturally fall into the same camp as these fallen angels because we are fallen humans. We sin. And if God didn't save us, we would also be those who suffer eternally for doing evil. But if we believe in Jesus, we know that he has saved us. And since Peter is talking about Noah and the flood, he's going to use that to illustrate this. And so he speaks in the second half of verse 20 about people who were brought to safety through water. Now notice their salvation here was not from water, but through water. And what Noah and his family were saved from was the sinful world around them to become God's people through water. And brothers and sisters, we too have been saved through water. But the waters that save us, that separate us from sinful society around us, are not the waters of the flood, but in verse 21, the waters of baptism. Baptism is a sign of the new life that God has given us in Christ. And what separated Noah and his family from the world was the waters of the flood. What separates us from the world is the waters of baptism. Now, Peter doesn't want us to misunderstand this by thinking that in baptism the, the water itself is saves us, as if there's something magical about the water. It's not really the sign on the outside that saves, but the reality that it points to on the inside. And so he quickly clarifies his statement in verse 21, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. Right? It's the appeal to God. It's not the water that actually saves, uh, but it's the appeal to God that goes with it. It's saying, God, I'm a sinner, but please forgive me and save me from evil through Jesus and make me one of your holy people to save you, to serve you. Right, that is what we're saying when we become Christian. That is what, that's what actually saves us. But even then, the power is not in the appeal itself. The appeal is effective, verse 21, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Right? Jesus is the risen, victorious thing, king, who has power over all the forces of evil. Uh, and there is not an angel or demon or authority or power in the spiritual realm who can stop him when we appeal to him to save us. When we cry out to him to save us from doing evil, he does exactly that. And he makes us his very own, his royal priesthood, his holy nation, a people belonging to him who live not for ourselves, but to declare his praises to the world. So my friends, do you want to suffer for doing good or suffer for doing evil? If you're not a believer, then can I urge you to join the company of people who, like Jesus, will suffer for doing good. Appeal to God for a good conscience. Ask him to take away your sins and make you one of his people. And if you haven't been baptized yet, express that appeal through the sign of baptism. There's a command of the risen Christ. You may suffer for your decision, but it's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. In conclusion, as we face hardship, 
And if we face persecution, then this is what we should do. Remember, there is blessing and reward that comes when we suffer for doing good. So whatever you face, don't fear it. Fear God. Know who the Lord is. Be prepared to share the reason for the hope that is in you. Communicate it in a godly way. And be open to the possibility of suffering for the sake of the gospel, for the glory of God. Remembering that suffering for doing good is temporary. Suffering for doing evil is eternal. It is better to suffer for doing good, if it is God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is indeed Lord, and that if we fear him, uh, we do not need to fear anything else in an ultimate way. Uh, please help us to fear him, knowing that he is our life and eternity in his hands, and to love him and trust him, knowing that he loves us and was willing to suffer for us. We pray that you keep us focused on the hope that is laid up for us in heaven, and that you strengthen us as we lovingly explain to others the reason for the hope that we have. Help us, we pray, to be willing to suffer for doing good, remembering the blessing that comes from that. And we pray especially for our brothers and sisters around the world and in our own community who suffer for the sake of Christ. Give them courage and hope by your Spirit through your word and help them persevere, we pray. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.